Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Wisp World Australia. Ash, we are back. I am Beth Davis in Melbourne and I'm joined by Ash Nelson in Perth. Ash, feels like forever since I've spoken with you. It has been a long time. There's been so much going on. Of course, we've had the Olympics and we're back after that, but I'm actually enjoying being back in a regular sleeping pattern because before the Olympics, I <laughs> uh, was Tour de France, then it was the Olympics and it's just been really nice actually going on holidays and not waking up during the middle of the night or early morning. So I'm feeling very refreshed and uh, lots to talk about today. So much to talk about and of course we we have to start with the Olympics because what a fantastic campaign it was for Australia and particularly for the Aussie females in Rio. Oh, there was just so much happening over the Olympics. I know that probably we didn't do as well as what the, the media had hoped, but at the same time, I think it's important that we actually acknowledge our female Aussie athletes who took out the coveted gold. Of course, we had the women's rugby sevens. They were fantastic. They really held up the team sports end of the deal. Unfortunately, both the men and women in basketball and hockey didn't do so well. So well done to the rugby sevens ladies. Uh, Kim Brennan, she was fantastic. So she went in as favourite to win the women's single skulls and after some pretty rough conditions, she actually uh, picked up the first gold in, I think, eight years, and it was actually her husband that had won in Beijing early on, so I'm sure the genetics are pretty strong there. Uh, <laughs> Chloe Esposito, she uh, entered the final leg of the women's modern pentathlon in seventh and finished in first. Uh, she had an exceptional leg in terms of the, the shooting and running at the end, so I think she closed about a 45-second gap to take the gold. She might have actually learnt some shooting tips off one of our guests today, so well done to Chloe. <laughs> And, of course, in the pool, Kate Campbell, Bronte Campbell, Emma McKeon and Brittany Elmsley, well, they never looked in doubt for the 4 by 100 metre freestyle against the USA. And finally, very exciting, Catherine Skinner. Well, she won gold in the women's trap, uh, trap shooting, beating um, the trans-Tasman rival, New Zealand rival, Natalie Rooney. She hit uh, 12 or 15 targets. And I managed to take out the gold. And as I said before, I'm very excited about talking about Catherine because we're going to have her on the show uh, soon after talking about one of our other athletes that are going to be on the show as well who was at the Olympics. Yeah, and look, as you say, it's it's great to acknowledge all the, um, you know, absolutely the gold medals that the Aussie females won. You know, we also won a, a great amount of um, silver and bronze medals, mm-hmm. um, which which mm-hmm. the, the Aussie girls um 
kept up their end of the bargain and came home some champions as well. Particularly, I mean, I just want to quickly touch on the, the Rugby Sevens. It was really great to see those girls come out and win a gold medal with that sport being introduced for the first time in Rio. And for us getting to take home the gold first up was just really fantastic. And I've got to say the, the pentathlon, Chloe Esposito, that is just one of the most interesting sports because you've got to be really so skillful in not just one, but, you know, five, six different um, disciplines. And it's just incredible um, watching that that event and, and seeing, you know, the, the training that they go through to, to, to be at that level in all of those different disciplines is just incredible. And it's, it, it's very different disciplines as well. It's not just your, your typical running, catching, sort of throwing sort of aspects. Um, you know, for someone to be able to shoot as well as run, it's, it's just something that's quite unusual to be able to do yeah. so well. And then the equestrian part of it, it's incredible. Exactly. It's just, <laughs> not all um, Olympic campaigns go the way that athletes want them to go. Um, there, there's some people who miss out on medals and some people mm-hmm. who, you know, they, they train for four years for this fantastic event and, and get injured during the event itself. And sadly for, for our next guest, it was the latter. So um, Kim Mickle is joining us on the show. And unfortunately, Kim, who's a, a javelin thrower um, and had a shoulder reconstruction and then unfortunately dislocated her shoulder in her final mm. throw of the javelin. So we welcome Kim to the show. Hey, guys, how are you going? How are you going, Kim? Yeah, yeah. Look, I uh, passed the 10-week mark post-surgery, so I'm uh, going great guns and all uh, able-bodied and and ready to rumble again. So, no, all all going good. Are you sure they're able-bodied? Let's let's actually talk about uh, the incident itself, Kim, because I was actually watching it live. I was doing a radio segment at the time and we were watching you about to throw. And it was really bizarre because Steve Hooker, who was commentating, um, I'm sure that you know Steve quite well um, as well as I do, and he said, you know what, she just doesn't look right. I don't want her to take the throw. I mean, how did he know that, for one? He should have gone out and bought a lotto ticket. But deep down inside... <laughs> Deep down inside, did you know that something like that was about to happen? No. Well, little did everyone know. I think uh, I actually saw Steve a few days later on uh, my way home uh, on the at the airport, and I because uh, I saw the footage and I said, "How did you you pick that?" Because I was actually fine leading into then. Um, oh, and he actually said, "Well, funnily enough, they taped the um, the recordings about forty seconds." like earlier just in case something happens and I think someone must have dropped the f-bomb or something when I first did it so they actually saw it happen and had to retape it very quickly so um yeah his intuition I think was um yeah it was a bit, a bit post, sounded good on tv but I think yeah, yeah, he right. actually already saw it happen so I think he uh oh, yeah he claimed that he's a bit of a um a mind reader <laughs> uh, I was I was paying yeah, exactly. I was um, paying him so many compliments because I thought he must have watched you warm up time and time again and be able to actually pick it. And maybe he should go into yeah. javelin throwing <laughs> rather than pole vaulting training. But there you go. So how is it all going? Um, yeah. Oh, look, it's going not too bad. So I had um, the shoulder reconstructed again. So it's my second time, unfortunately, in two years that I've had to get it done. But um, look, that just makes me an experienced campaigner when it comes to rehab. So um, yeah, I'm 10 weeks post now and I actually um, spent a bit of time away and had some um, downtime and had a holiday and things like that this time, which was um, really well needed because uh, last time I had 11 months from a full surgery to get uh, Olympic ready and I literally didn't take one step backwards and it was just go, go, go the whole time. So um, no, this time with the, the rehab, I allowed myself to have a bit of downtime and 
and let the body sort of um, yeah relax for a little bit. And now uh, I'm back and, and raring to go, and it's uh, yeah I've got a new challenge of footy now, so um, I'm trying to run around and get fit, which is which is rather hard and rather different from a, a javelin throw. But uh, no, it's it's actually gone really well. So yeah, Kim, let, let's chat about that. So you've been signed to the the Fremantle Dockers in the inaugural women's AFL league that's going to be starting in 2017. How did that actually come about for you to get selected for to play football for Frio? Yeah, it's kind of a funny one. I think it was more kind of word of mouth than anything else. But I uh, I've got a YouTube clip out um, of me kicking um, like a footy into a basketball ring and a few little trick shots and like I. I literally warm up with a footy in hand and I think a lot of people know that I um, I love footy and I, I can play footy, but obviously Javelin has always taken my priority in life. And, uh, yeah, when I heard that the uh, the women's league starting up and it's going to be pro and, um, yeah, it's going to be a professional um, sport, I thought, well, wow, this is actually really amazing. And, and funnily enough, the shoulders actually made this um, – this actually happened because uh, now I can't throw for a while. The footies <laughs> then sort of jumped in and it's kind of a blessing in disguise. So, uh, yeah, it's amazing how all the uh, the cards fall down in Kimbo's favour because, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's given me a chance to, to have a new challenge, a new goal. And, uh, yeah, my, my mindset's actually really um, positive at the moment because, uh, yeah, I've, I've got a new direction and it's it's really cool. So the, the training for it, Kim, you mentioned before, it'd be vastly different to um, throwing a javelin. Uh, I, I assume that there'd probably be a lot more of an aerobic component to it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I don't really know what training you do for javelin as well. And you're looking incredibly fit before the Olympics. Just how different is it? What are you doing on a day-to-day basis to prepare for football? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it, like you always have the which sport's harder and what's harder to train for and all these sorts of things. And I've, I think I've gone from two extremes. I've now gone from a um, complete dynamic and power sport to a bit of a cardio one. So mm. uh, I can I can say they're equally on par. Um, like the, the difference between it is with javelin, um, I trained 14 times a week. Each session was about two hours long. You had to back it up twice a day. Every day, uh, turning up, it's more of a mind struggle because it's technique and there's days where you just think it's impossible and your body won't work but you've got to push through and all those sorts of battles. And, like, in terms of the gym and stuff, it's all about how much can you lift and how quick can you do it and then you have a lot of rest and recovery in between so you're nice and fresh. But then footy, I um, they've only actually structured us for two to three hard um sessions a week uh, but those sessions which actually only um last about half an hour to 45 minutes I'm literally dead by about four minutes because it's all <laughs> like sprint and your recovery is a jog and I'm like where's my rest and my five minutes, like chill out time so uh, welcome to yeah, pre-season in- <laughs> I know I know and I'm trying to um yeah get these sessions done and I'm literally afterwards I'm, I'm crying and I, f- I feel like I'm dying and I feel like I'm breathing through a straw and all these sorts of things so yeah, in terms of an intense session the footy's certainly uh making me rather tired but then I'm backing it up really well because there's a lot of recovery in between everything so um, it'll be different when we actually get a ball in our hand and like we actually haven't started team training yet. That'll start in a couple of weeks' time. So right now it's just fitness and, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly yeah, it's challenging me. <laughs>
I just wanted to ask about, I guess, the the team itself. Now, the the draft happened a couple of weeks ago. How are you guys feeling with within your team, and what do you think your your chances are of, um, I guess, of, of winning the flag in the first ever season of women's AFL? Yeah, well, like I said, we actually haven't started uh, training as a team yet. So um, we've had um, a, a, a program sent to us individually uh, of what they sort of kind of well, what sort of shape we need to be in for the start of the season. But we're allowed to have three months of uh, team training together. And I think that starts on the 22nd of November, I think it is. So, yeah, the team actually, I haven't gotten together with the team yet. We're actually heading to Melbourne next weekend for a, an induction weekend. So that'll be the first time I'll actually uh, meet everyone. So um, I'll be able to answer that a little bit better <laughs> meet the team members, I think. Do you even know what position that you're going to be playing? Are, are you someone that wants to kick one of the goals or are you just going to be practising your spoiling at the back? Yeah, I think that'll come when we actually all get together and start to realise where we'll will fit in, but um, I heard Michelle, the uh, coach, suggest I might be up forward, but um, yeah, no one's really seen me kick or, or mark or, or play or run or anything <laughs> like that, so I think they're just about as out of the loop as I am, but um, look, I'm putting in the hard yards in terms of the fitness, and I know I can kick a ball and mark, and I've been heading down to the park and, and having to kick myself, so uh, hopefully they'll be in for a pleasant surprise of uh, what sort of shape I'm in, but uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait until we get the whole team together and see how we gel and see where we all fit in terms of on the oval. So, Kim, obviously you've got your, your football career ahead of you now. Is there, I guess, with, with your shoulder having had your second reconstruction, is there any thought in your mind of trying to go back to Javelin or is that sort of done and dusted for now? Yeah, look, I, I certainly want to get back. Uh, the Commonwealth Games in Brisbane and in the Gold Coast would just be absolutely insane. That would be a really nice way how to sort of come back, have my comeback throw, because the last two majors that I've uh, competed in have both been my shoulders of well, my shoulder dislocated. So unfortunately, the first one, which was 2015 at the World Champs, uh, I did a snatch lift in the gym and uh, the bar was bent, which actually then put all the force into my shoulder wrong and, uh, yeah, dislocated it that way. And then I tried to throw on top of that, which in hindsight probably wasn't the best of ideas, but it rushed <laughs> the uh, the reconstruction. And we, with the first reconstruction, we tried to keep the shoulder really flexible so I could get the range with a, a javelin throw, but we weren't to know if that was going to hold or not. And obviously, I was waiting to the very last moment, and the Olympics happened to be that moment, and I was always going to go for it. And the shoulder was in the most amazing shape it's it could have ever been, but unfortunately, the surgery was never going to hold. Uh, and the only way, like I said, to test that was to throw 100%. So that's where the Olympics came into it. And now with, with the uh, second surgery, we have tightened up the shoulder. So there shouldn't be a risk of um, any more dislocations. It's just whether I can get the range of a javelin throw in. But luckily, mm -hmm. I'm hyper, hyper mobile. Um, so I've always gone beyond any other javelin throw in terms of range so maybe now I've just got a normal shoulder so maybe it might be a bit of a blessing so yeah I'm going to tuck in for the next next six months of just uh, really focusing in on recovering the shoulder getting really footy fit getting nice and strong in the gym and then once April hits and the footy's done I'll uh, chuck a jab in the hand and see how the the shoulder goes. 
with WISP, we're about you know promoting females in sport and also trying to make sure that um, women in sport can become professional athletes. Do you think that this is a start of something pretty special with the Women's Football League and, and can you see it transferring over to other sports as well as far as the growth and, and women actually being able to be full-time athletes? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, everyone sort of underestimates how amazing female sport is and, like, obviously we see like the netball and um, and all that sort of stuff on, on TV yeah. now, which is absolutely spectacular. But to have uh, female footy, uh, they'll probably see how rough and tough and fit and amazing <laughs> we actually all are. And uh, I tell Bring you what, back like, the I've, I've only sort of had a – oh, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to taking some screamers on top of some shoulders and uh, making people realise that women's sport is, uh, yeah, is worth checking out. So – uh, hopefully the footy will transfer into yeah other female sports for sure. Is it definitely, I mean, financially, is it better being within the football league rather than actually a javelin thrower? <laughs> well, I'm not sure yet. The uh, I, the budget really hasn't really come out yet, so I'm not okay. too sure what the uh, what that's all well, about. I just feel that if the game does, I mean, if sport doesn't grow um, outside of football for females, they will probably see a lot of transition of female athletes going down the AFL line because they are able to become professional athletes if the money is there. Very true. Yeah, and with um, with athletics, like unfortunately, it's. It's very hard to sort of build into, uh, like getting into the, once you're in the Diamond Leagues and at Olympic Games and maybe making sort of top eights and then top fives and then a podium finish, that's when you sort of start to make it a reality that this could be sort of your career. But um, leading into it, it's, it's really hard and being an individual sport and having just sort of yourself to sort of back yourself, um, yeah, it's, it's very tricky. But, um, yeah, maybe the, uh, the footy might sort of, it might boost up some um, some juniors just to, to get into any sport possible and, and make it sort of a realisation that you actually can make a career out of women's sport. Mm, fingers crossed, hey? Very exciting, though. I mean, to be going from being a javelin thrower to a football player, I feel as though you're channeling your... Uh, we were talking about Chloe Esposito before with the modern pentathlon. Who knows? That might be up your alley. <laughs> yeah, well, look, and then maybe golf afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Kim, thanks well, so much for joining us on the show. Absolutely no worries. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, Kim, and uh, we'll have you back on the show soon, maybe to recap how the AFL season went. Absolutely no dramas. Thanks, guys. Uh, well, isn't that fantastic um, there, Beth? I mean, Kim Mickle, no stranger to Australian sport, particularly female sport, but just really exciting to be able to actually get uh, a javelin thrower or an Olympic athlete involved in a domestic sport, so that the AFL. And I think that having athletes like her transition into the AFL um, really probably raises the profile of, of um, the, the AFL female sport. So uh, interesting, interesting character, isn't she? Yeah, and look, it's really interesting to hear her story. And as you say, there is a lot of um, a lot of athletes who are transitioning to AFL. I know there's a lot of basketball players who've chosen to to go down the AFL path this year. And as you say, hopefully, it does lead to some more money in other professional sports, so that um, so that those athletes can stay with their particular chosen sport. But it's also a great opportunity, you know, as as Kim said, you know, that this opportunity for women's footy wasn't there before. So a lot of these um, these athletes who have chosen other sports may have done so because footy that's their first love just wasn't available to them so it's great to be able to to have that now there for them as a as a first pathway 
Yeah, so I look at some of the, the Hockey Roo girls and I've never seen anybody be able to kick a football quite like uh, Claire Messon and Georgia Nanscorn. So there are a couple of other athletes out there, which I think in time they might, uh, if it does get well established, the, the women's AFL, they might transition after hockey as well. I think there's a bit of an untapped <laughs> resource there that they could be looking into. I definitely don't think that I'll be uh, going into it with my knees, so I might have to bypass <laughs> that and uh, go into something like golf, as Kim mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> Take the safe option. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, Ash, we did mention earlier on the show that we were going to have one of our Rio gold medalists on the show today, and we are very excited to welcome Catherine Skinner, gold medalist in the women's trap shooting. Catherine, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Morning, Catherine. How exciting to have you on, and congratulations on uh, a gold medal at the Olympics. It probably feels like uh, quite a while ago, or is it still fresh in your memory? It's starting to fade a little bit, but it's no, still, I think it's um, starting to become really bizarre at this point where he's just getting so much attention, so much recognition for that one competition. So it's a, starting to be a little bit bizarre. It's, a, it's always probably a little bit surreal. You wake up each morning and going, did that actually happen? Yeah, there's definitely a factor of that too. <laughs> so how has it been returning to normal day-to-day life? Did you get much of an opportunity to go on holidays after the Olympics or were you right back into the swing of things? I, I had to go right back into the swing of things uh, because I'd won at Rio. That had qualified me for our World Cup final where it's the top 12 performers for the year. And that was about a month after Rio. So I was back into training and trying to keep going in it, which really messed up my original plans. So you're planning on actually going on holidays, were you? And fortunately had to keep on training? Well, not really holidays. I was planning to go into the workforce and try and get my ah. second career going. Is that that you're, what, what is it that you actually do outside of, um, of shooting then? I just graduated from a chemical engineering degree. So now I was trying to line up work experience for it, but Yes, um, and I had a few people that were really um, great about trying to be flexible and accommodating for Rio because it, I'd originally talked to them well before we even announced the team and it just kept on getting postponed. And then when I came back with the medal, I had to have that conversation again going, can we just push it back a little bit further? <laughs> I think they'd understand, Catherine. I think that you have plenty more job opportunities where that came from after what you managed to do. I hope so. Take us through the actual Olympics itself and I guess explain a little bit about the sport of trap shooting um, for those who are listening who may not be familiar with the sport. What are the qualifications and how do you get to that gold medal round in the Olympics? Well, first off, I'll describe uh, basically what my event's about. Um, I do trap, which is a single target uh, being thrown out in um, about a 45 degree angle from in front of me and now, our targets are thrown from a machine that's not below ground, about 15 metres in front of us. And off five stations, we could get three possible targets over those. So for women, we shoot three rounds of 25 in our qualifying rounds. Uh, and then our now the top six of the competitors qualify for the semifinals. And then the semifinals are a different format again because we have... No, we shoot at single barrel, so we've only got one shot per target. Um, and they're different targets from what we shot in qualifying. And now even from there, it's like the number one gets through to the gold medal duel no, for it. And they, so our semifinals shoot 15 targets. The top two out of that 15 
uh, get through to the gold medal duel where they shoot another 15 targets and whoever wins uh, over those 15 then is the one that walks away with the medal. Um, and probably one of the real trickiest components of that is that our scores get set to zero. So uh, it makes a really great story for the comeback, like what happened for me, where you scrape into the semifinals in sixth place and walk out with gold. Um, but it, uh, I personally feel like it's not a really great change for our sport because we, in our nature of our sport, we want to have the person that, shots the, that has shot the best score over the entire day winning. Um, but that no, those decisions aren't up to us and they're trying to make it more media friendly and more uh, engaging for an audience. I think that's the way things are going as far as being media friendly because I know in hockey that this Olympics actually changed to having quarterfinals. So no matter what you did in the, the round games, you might not have performed too well, but you can still make it through to the quarterfinals and have, I guess, one good game and then manage to scrape through to the semifinal and the finals. And I think, like Catherine said, it's probably becoming more of a focus on trying to increase the drama and the hype around uh, certain games or um, certain rounds. Um, so whether or not it's good for the sport, I'm not too sure, but definitely if it increases media participation and gets people watching, um, maybe that might be something that they yeah, have to keep on doing. I've always described it as nah, we're trying to have a sport and we want to have a, a very fair game and whether nah, – while the media influences of it are kind of turning it into a movie drama. So they want those ones of people coming back from the edge of their teeth and coming away winning. But it's not very fair to those that are having an absolutely brilliant day and just, you know, in our sport, missing a few targets or missing the one goal at the wrong time mm. when they could have been absolutely smashing everyone in the qualifying rounds, miles ahead of everyone, but to lose in one match or just even by one target, is pretty heartbreaking. Has the rule changed recently? Is it Did it used to be a different ruling where it would go on the tally of how you'd gone over the rounds? Is this something that's oh, just been introduced recently? We've had about three different formats in the past six years trialling it. And even the one that was at this Olympic Games is going to be scrapped at the end of the year. And they're bringing some. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details else back so they're still working in progress so every two years we're shooting a different final well um, it paid off right. it paid off for this year for you anyway so that's always a, a good point but I guess um so we've learned about you know trap shooting and what it is but my question is how do you get involved in in trap shooting because I I read that you took up the sport at age 12 and I don't imagine too many parents unless they were already involved in shooting kind of going oh that sounds like a good sport for my my daughter to take up at that age Oh, it definitely has a big family factor um, for it where it's either um, directly parents or it's uncles that take them out shooting. Um, but it's also a little bit of a culture thing too where it's not so common for the city people to be involved in it, but in the country everyone's grown up around guns, whether it was rifles or 
heads up, no, anything like that. So the 12-year age starting anything is actually a legal point for it. So if you go to you know, Western Australia and I think the Northern Territory, you get younger kids shooting because they're allowed to shoot younger at a younger age. It's very rare for us to have someone that's completely unrelated to the sport coming in. Uh, it's even rare for people to come across disciplines where you might have someone that started rifle that comes across to shotgun or they did pistols and they come across to rifle. Everyone sort of starts with you know, one particular gun and usually sticks with that. So was it a family influence for you that um, the reason why you took up the sport? Yeah, um, I've got two older brothers and the eldest one was really keen on shooting and my dad did it as a boy. I did this clay target shooting as a boy. He just sort of went, well, if you're keen on shooting, we'll go and do this and it'll be a controlled environment. And also it's a really nice feeling when you see the target break instantly. (laughs) Um, It's quite addictive. I wouldn't Um, know, Catherine. (laughs) Well, it must be satisfying. It's that same sort of adrenaline rush that you get, isn't it? Because it, it, it's it's success in your event, you know. Seeing that, um, you know, the the target get broken like that, it's 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 validation of your training and and saying that yes, you are, you know, you've got that focus and you've got that aim and you're able to shoot it down. Yeah, and there's also a bit of luck involved in it. It's a bit like hearing that satisfying thunk when a ball hits the goal in the back mm. of just going, mm-hmm. yep, we've scored one for the team. So a lot of it was a family influence. So you hit 12 out of 15 targets, which is pretty impressive. Um, were you, I guess, surprised at that? Were you thinking that you, hoping that you would have got all 15? Is it, has anyone ever got all 15 to win the gold or is it pretty difficult to do that? It's kind of common now for them to get the 15 at the World Cup events and so on. Um, the Olympics is a really strange little bubble not for it because in order to be competing at the Olympics, you've got to perform far better um, in the build-up to qualify than what you really do on the day um, because we just get put under so much pressure and attention that it's a really bizarre sort of um, environment feeling for us. So, and then it's also our field is a lot smaller than what we usually compete against. Um, so getting back to your question about the no, final. For the women, 12 is about right. Um, the single barrel aspect of it, where we only get one shot, can really mess with you because it means if you're just a little bit off, where you're a little bit too nervous or a little bit too cautious, there's no second chances in it. You've either hit or miss. And so it's very easy for people to fall to pieces. But at the same time, it's become really common for it. So I think I have a feeling that I've actually he got at one of our world championships where we got the quota. I think I shot no, it's a 13 out of 15 for it, and that was to get into the bronze medal match where we had two with a clean 15 at the top and the next one had a 14. So it's not uncommon to shoot at the 15 clean. It just depends on the day and a bit of how the girls are holding up. It just it sounds like it's a real, um, it, it's a real mental event. Yeah, it really is. And I think that's where now we get overlooked a bit because uh, where you can really appreciate the physicality of some of the other sports, like the gymnasts and the uh, like just the strength involved, shooting doesn't require so much of the physical fitness, but it's your mental fitness that's uh, really demanded on. And it's confidence, it's emotional control 
they're all the uh, the parts where it really gets you know strained and where the real strength comes from that was probably what I was going to talk about Beth so well done excellent line of questioning <laughs> uh, but uh, Catherine how do you mimic that in your training environment because you know gold medal match um, try to stay composed not get nervous and uh, trying to hold that that line of sight I guess you could say and and not shake I mean how do you actually train for that because it'd be really difficult to create an environment with that much stress on you um, to be able to be able to prepare for it is that how do you manage that I'm still working that out myself um, mm. a lot of people have different theories for it uh, but the best one I can really put is just experience and mm -hmm. often it's the negative experiences that you really learn from. I think that's also adding to why I feel like it's so strange looking back on the day where now I had done very similar things to that in the past and I walk away with nothing, but I did the same thing and I walk away with the, uh, the gold medal without really any change. Um, mm -hmm. It really comes down to the day and the conditions a lot and sometimes it's just fine nailing exactly what you need um, there's been days where I've needed to have about four no, cups of coffee just to <laughs> wake myself up enough to really see these things and then there's others where I'm other days where I need to get a bit of a food coma to settle down and it's just trying to read what you need or what you, know, you personally are at um, and I think that's one of these things of why our sport takes quite a lot and uh, quite a long time for us to really develop uh, because it's just reading yourself on where you are you know, on the roller coaster I suppose of you know, your performances of whether it's one of the days that you've got to be really strict with yourself and disciplined or if it's one of the days that you can sit back and relax and it's just about having a good time and okay. it is well, just Catherine. so hard to catch. You, me you, mentioned, you mentioned about the food coma. Um, I don't know if this is true, but the AOC you listed, one of your superstition was one pint of Ben & Jerry's uh, Caramel Chalk Crunch uh, the night before competition and maybe peanut butter the day of competition. Is that what you're talking about when you mentioned your food coma? <laughs> A bit of that. Um, I don't have the peanut butter on the day of comp. I'm not very keen on peanut butter myself. Um, but food... Now, it does play a part in our sport because we can't eat too much too soon to our rounds because now our rounds of 25 targets go over about you know, 25 minutes and if we have a slow group or things muck up, they can get stretched out to 40 minutes. So now it's trying to keep that um, energy level consistent all the way through too. Um so sometimes you've just got to really go out there half asleep and that's the most consistent state that you're going to be in. And then there's other days where you need a sugar rush just to wake up at the beginning and settle into it. So there's a, no, but it, it's like everything's so personal to the shooter too. I've got others that refuse to eat anything during the day or very little. And then there's others that swear by having the big lunch and now then there's me that kind of eats all the way through the day. It does sound like it's, a, yeah, as you say, a very um, individual sport. And, and as we said, it, it's, it's quite a, a mental event um, that, that's quite tailored. In that, in, as part of your training, do you, I guess, um, 
you know, a, a lot of athletes that we talk to speak to sports psychologists to deal with the mental side of, of their sports. Do you kind of have that as part of your training regime of, of talking to a sports psychologist and, and really getting to know yourself and to know your own state? I do. Um, I think that that was probably the best help that I had uh, in the build-up to the games because it's even just dealing with outside pressures. Um, Rio was a real no bubble of pressure for it because even though people were being so supportive and wishing you good luck, that can build up into its own sort of pressure and it's trying to step back and get back to a normal state or a consistent state without any of that affecting you. So we've got just so many different bits and pieces going through and unfortunately our sport, since it's so mental, factors outside of our sport can play a part in it too. Uh, my scores would famously do a dive during exams but then they would you know, spike as soon as the exams were over. So fatigue is part of it or even just being able to re well, identify what the best state or the best feelings are for when you're going out and talking with the sports psychs and it's just identifying those things of whether you're being too analytical or whether it's you know, you're being too emotional or even sometimes it's just having a talk about life outside of it and letting it vent. Uh, so sports psych, you know, psychology is a very big you know, part of it and I think I've got a lot from them but then there's other shooters that you know, think that it's a waste of time. So so much of it's so personal for it and it's made it very hard for us to really set out a plan and say this is the pathway to being a champion because you know, everyone's got their own needs. So, Catherine, what's next on the cards for you? Are you continuing on with uh, your shooting, uh, looking at perhaps the next Olympics, or are you going to focus on actually your chemical engineering now, now that you've been putting it off for long enough? Trying to do a bit of all of it, I think. Trying to get some of the chemical engineering degree thing going on, but it, the next couple of years is really going to be an experiment. The next main goal, I suppose, is for the Commonwealth Games at the Gold Coast uh, because nah, our selection nah, policies kind of run over a six-month basis. So in a way, we're starting to jockey for position for the Gold Coast would be coming up very soon. And it's just one of these sports where it comes down to performing on the day. But then if you have one really good day, you can jump three places up and um, get very secure. But it's really hard for anyone else to displace you. So, But unfortunately, it also means that you've got to be performing over 18 months rather than being able to have a break and then build yourself up for this one meet. We certainly wish you the best of luck in coming up to the, the, the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games and um, certainly we'll be hoping to see you back there again. Um, congratulations on your gold medal and I know you said sort of, you know, it's, it's a little bit surreal that, that people are still talking about it but, you know, we, we sort of said uh, before we started recording this show that one of the great things about having successful female athletes at the Olympics is that we get to keep talking about them and that's what we're all about here at With Sports and we we want to keep um, keep promoting our female athletes and, and keep uh, keep you in the spotlight. So congratulations and we wish you all the best and, um, and, and good luck for the Commonwealth Games. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. No exams over Commonwealth Games. That's the one rule that you've got to take <laughs> away from it. <laughs> but thanks a lot, Catherine, and yeah, just like Beth said, good luck with it all. Thank you.
Beth, another absolute uh, champion and just goes to show how hard it is to really balance life outside of uh, shooting as well or being a female athlete. So I think that she's very talented as a shooter but must be a smart cookie as well, studying chemical engineering or going into that field at least. Absolutely. It's incredible. And it's really interesting to hear about, you know, those other kind of sports, as Catherine mentioned, you know, um, a trap shooting is not so much a physical sport um, as some of the others in the Olympics, but it really is a huge mental, um, mental fitness game. So really interesting to hear about and, and well done to her on winning the gold medal under such pressure at the Olympics. So really fantastic to see. Well, Ash, outside of the Olympics, um, we, we do have other things happening in the world of sports <laughs> there here has in Australia. Been other things yeah, going on, absolutely. <laughs> um, now, we've, we've talked about uh, Michelle Payne on this show quite a lot. Obviously, um, she was the first female jockey to win a Melbourne Cup in 2015 last year. Um, and she did have a fall in May of this year um, mm. and actually had uh, pancreatic surgery. And she wasn't actually sure if she was even going to ride again after that accident happened. But um, she has ridden two winners from nine rides since her return. Um, but there's a bit of, um, I guess, controversy over um, her at the moment because she does also have a, um, a trainer's licence in New South Wales. And one of the rules in, um, in New South Wales and in Queensland is that you actually can't um, ride as a jockey or have a licence mm. as a jockey if you also have a licence as a trainer. So there's a fair bit going on in uh, in the world of racing in that respect. Yeah, so she has been banned from it, has from New South Wales Racing. Um, apparently that came through just the other day. And I think that she's out for about a, a year with New South Wales, which is quite unusual given the fact that it's okay in all the other states apart from New South Wales uh, and also Queensland. you think it'd be uh, something that would be applicable all across Australia. Yeah, it's um it, it is interesting. You'd think, you know, the sport of horse racing is is pretty even across as you say across all states. So, um you know, one rule for one state and one rule for another is a little bit bizarre, but um yeah. you know, maybe they'll look at the ruling, but I'm sure that um I'm sure that Michelle will find uh, rides on on other horses in other states or perhaps she'll just focus on on her training stable that she has in New South Wales for the time being. Yeah, so I think it's New South Wales lost really because she'd be a massive draw card to any of the races given that uh, she is the first female athlete to, to win the Melbourne Cup. So they might be shooting well, themselves in the foot. But well, there to she shoot. was down here. She was down here in Melbourne for the Melbourne Cup Carnival and was one of the guests of honour at Oaks Day Ladies Day the other day. So great to see her still in the spotlight even though she wasn't um, riding on a horse in the Melbourne Cup this year. No. Um, great she to was see having... her still recognised. She was having champagne she, with Usain Bolt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, she was enjoying herself. <laughs> uh, well, just speaking of Michelle's, I guess, another Michelle in a different sport, I just wanted to also acknowledge uh, Michelle Timms, who is absolutely legendary Australian basketballer, um, has recently been inducted into the Basketball Australia Hall of Fame. So really well-deserved um, for Michelle to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, she's also recently, I think last year, was inducted into the FIBA Hall of Fame. So great to see her getting recognised in her own country here as well. And also staying with basketball, uh, Penny Taylor has recently retired from uh, professional basketball. Uh, Penny Taylor is one of the all-time great Australians, and I'm sure we'll see her in the Hall of Fame in the future as well. Penny won three WNBA titles with the Phoenix Mercury. Sorry, um, She led the Australian Opals to a world championship in 2006, won two silver medals at the Olympics um, in 2004 and 2008. Um, and as we mentioned at the top of the show, unfortunately, the, the Aussie Opals didn't medal uh, at the Olympics this year. Um, but, you know, Penny was certainly 
a huge part of that team and she'll be sorely missed in the Australian basketball scene. And I believe she's actually looking to move into coaching and um, Sandy Brondello, who is an Australian coach and the coach of the Phoenix Mercury is, one, Mercury, is one of her inspirations to move into that field. I'm sure she'll be a fantastic coach. She's an awesome player and uh, like you mentioned, Michelle Timms, well, she was a fantastic player as well. I'm not a huge basketball person, but certainly remember uh, Michelle Timms. She's been wonderful for the game. Uh, in other news, so we'll go from basketball to netball. Um, I'm not sure if you watched it, Beth, but but the Netball Fast Five World Series, that's come and gone. I, um, I loved it. it was, yeah, I quite liked it as well. I wasn't too sure because I'm not always sold on the short form of games, but this is the yeah. short form of the netball game. And it was a two-day event in Melbourne. They had uh, a great lineup: Australia, New Zealand, England, Jamaica, Malawi, South Africa. Never realised how competitive uh, Malawi are, but they yeah. did uh, really well. So they, they uh, took out bronze against England, which was a fantastic match. Um, but I guess the, the rules for it is, is that all teams, they played um, six 24-minute games across a two-day period. There's only five players per side. They've got shorter quarters and they've also got super shots so you can score one, two or three points. And you've also got power play quarters. So um, each team can actually pick what quarter they're going to have a power play. And uh, when they have that quarter, their points are doubled. So if you shoot a, a three-pointer during a, a power play quarter, well, then you can score up to a maximum of six points, which is really does change the dynamic of the game. And um, in the final, although Australia had gone through undefeated, New Zealand just absolutely romped it in. It was a 41-16 to 16 game, and uh, the New Zealand captain and Fast Five veteran, um, Maria Tutea, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, she was the captain, and she was unstoppable. She had 27 points in the grand final and five super shots. So it's pretty hard to compete against when you've got somebody being able to um, score some of the long bombs, as they were calling it, for the <laughs> Fast Five game. So well done to New Zealand. Hopefully Australia will get them back um, when it counts. Uh, Moving on to the Women's National Cricket League, um, they've had four to five matches. Now, the Scorpions, which is South Australia, they were last year's winners. They're currently in fourth. But the New South Wales Breakers, well, they're at the top of the table again, and it looks like they're up for a winning season. They're doing really well. Queensland Fire is um, second at the moment, so they are on New South Wales' tail. But interesting thing about the Breakers is that they've won 17 of the last 19 Women's National Cricket League titles, which is just incredible, being that dominant over that amount of years. And like I said, Absolutely. it looks like they're in for another win potentially, whether or not Queensland Fire can get a, a win over them at the end of the day. But that runs from the 13th of October to the 3rd of December. So keep your eye out for that if you want to go along and have a bit of a look. Uh, and just finally, the Australian Women's Hockey League has also been and gone. That was over September, October, held in Perth. So I was down having a bit of a look at that. And it was a rematch of last year's grand final. So the Queensland Scorchers, they beat Victorian Vipers and became back-to-back -back premiers. The final score was 3-2. And although Victorian Vipers were up at halftime, Queensland really were the dominant team at the end of the day. Um, the player of the tournament actually went to Georgia, Nan Scorn from Victoria, who, interestingly enough, Beth, she was actually one of the three players that was one of the reserves for the Hockey Roos at the Olympics. So she's gone to the Olympics and been a reserve, so had to stay outside the village, didn't end up getting to play at the Olympic Games because there was no injury. So a real difficult time for her. And then she's bounced back at the AHL and managed to become player of the tournament and 
she wrote a fantastic blog about it uh, and just her feelings and emotions that she went through when she was at the Olympic Games watching her team and teammates probably not perform to the level that they'd hoped and I think her story is just a, a wonderful story for young athletes to listen to about um, resilience and dealing with adversity and potentially could be someone to have on the show perhaps so um, I just think yeah a, a outstanding effort from her. Yeah it, it must be really hard to, to I guess be a reserve on an Olympic team and, and actually go over to Rio and it, it's almost like you're sitting there and you it's only you're only going to play if someone gets injured so it's almost mm. like you, you don't want someone to get injured but then if they do it's sort of like how exciting for you so it's it's really an, an interesting position to be in where you never want one of your teammates and one of your friends to get injured but their misfortune is your gain so it's a really um, tricky spot to be in. It is. It is a, it's a really uh, hard position to be in. And she talks really candidly about her feelings, which I think a lot of people probably uh, wouldn't be so candid about it coming back from the Olympics. So it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting read and she talks a, a lot about it. So I um, would love to, yeah, like I said, get her on the show. And I think it's a, an important lesson for, for people to learn about how to keep on going when uh, you've got an obstacle in your way as big as that. Well, quickly before we wrap up, Ash, I just wanted to check in with you and see how your rehab's going with your knee and what you're up to with your hockey career going forward. Yeah, it's very interesting at the moment. Well, I just got back from my 730-kilometre bike ride, which was a ride for wellbeing for Are You OK? And surprisingly enough, my knee held up really well. I thought that that would get sore, but it didn't. Just my quads. I've been saying that I was riding on, <laughs> ha on half a quad and uh, just doing big circles. Um, but it actually went surprisingly well. So now that I'm back, I'm actually doing some uh, running now. I did 3Ks the other day and probably felt like what Kim Mickle was describing. I was so <laughs> tired. As it turns out um, going for bike rides does not correspond to actually being able to run or being fit with running <laughs> um, but at the same time my knee's feeling a, a lot better than what it did um, before I went on the bike ride so slow and steady and um, actually I think when I am able to start playing hockey again the girls go on their final break for the year so I'll probably have to wait a little bit longer to get back onto the hockey pitch and training with some other people but I'll make that decision when I get to it at the moment it's just focusing on actually getting a good technique of running because weirdly enough you kind of forget how to actually run when you don't do it for a couple of months so um yeah all going well oh good well very good to hear well thank you for joining us um do make sure that you check out the website www.wispsports.com there's great content that's constantly updated as well as our podcast there's some really fantastic blogs and articles on there um check out the featured posts run across the top that's always the latest content there's a really great um uh, series on at the moment that's the history of rugby um, we previously did a history of netball which was really interesting reading so check out the history of rugby um it, it's it's really great stuff I think part three is up there now. Um, plenty of other podcasts to listen to. And we've got our um, our YouTube shows as well. Backstrokes and Boobs is back up again. Um, <laughs> Have you heard what they're talking love. about there? They're talking about periods this month. Yes. So <laughs> Exciting times. <laughs> it's you know, and it's one of those things that's, um, that's you know, a bit taboo to talk about in women's sport, but it's something that every female goes through. So really exactly. great to, to hear about and, and great for them, to, a great topic for them to tackle. So do make sure you check out the website, www.wispsports.com and uh, uh, check us out on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Wispsports. We're on all the social media. So get in touch with us if there's a guest you'd like to hear or if there's some news you'd like to report on, uh, make sure you get in touch with us. 
Um, well, and until next month, Ash, um, we will uh, be watching all the sports that we can over the Australian summer. Absolutely. No Olympics now, so it's a focus on other sports. <laughs> until next time, I'm Beth Davis from Melbourne. And I'm Ash Nelson from Perth. We will be back very soon. Thank you.